From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Danda, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Vera Mehet. Hey Vera, how are you doing? Hello, I'm all right, thank you. How are you doing, Paddy? I'm good. This episode's quite early in the morning, so I'm not always looking my best early in the morning, but we'll put some filters on and stuff just to sort of gloss over the face. But no, today's episode, I'm really excited because the guests that we have, I think they epitomize everything that this podcast is all about. She's a world rally champion. She's a leading authority on mental toughness, and she's got a whole host of other accolades to her name, including being an author. But I can't do her justice just from the intro that I give. So I'd like her to tell us a little bit more about herself. So welcome to the show, Penny Mallory. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thanks, Penny. And by the way, I'm not a world rally champion. I'm a, I'm a rally champion, but I never won the world championship. So I, I must put that straight. Got it. Well, in our eyes, you're a world champion. So that's absolutely fine. So Penny, would you like to um, kick off and just tell us a little bit more about your background? Goodness. I, I never know where to start with this stuff because I, I actually grew up in a really privileged, comfortable, Kentish village on the outside. Everything looked very lovely. There was a nice car on the drive. We used to go on the odd holiday abroad, you know, I'm talking about in the 60s and the early 70s. And, you know, it, it would look like a really perfect life, but it, it never was because behind closed doors, my mum was very, very ill. She was an alcoholic, but she was more importantly, a, a very severe manic depressive, which meant that she was spent most of my childhood in, as we called them in those days, the lunatic asylum. Because she, in, the, in the 60s and 70s, of course, when you were as ill as she was, they used to section you, sedate you, bang you up in a psychiatric hospital and kind of give you really brutal treatments, which didn't seem to make her any better, for sure. So I, I spent my childhood angry and resentful because I wanted a normal mum. And as a result, I sort of withdrew into myself, didn't get on particularly well at school, found it quite hard to make friends. I just hated the world. And so I kept running away. And at 14, I actually ran away and never went back. So that didn't quite go to plan because I ended up in homeless hostels for nearly three years. And then I was sofa surfing for a while and heroin addict boyfriend, you know, I'm in trouble with the police. Life was not quite what it should have been from the backgrounds that I appear to have come from. So at no point, by the way, am I, woe is me, I'm a victim. Because I actually, despite everything, when I got to London, I did have a lot of fun. I was always after the dangerous, the edgy. I was always up to something. Um, but but the important thing is that when I was six, I saw something on TV that stayed with me all my life. And that was, I saw rally cars on TV. And I grew up thinking I want to be a rally champion. And when I hit rock bottom in London, instead of doing the really stupid thing, I thought, just get yourself at a rally school for a day, just because you've always wanted to. And that day, thankfully, was the day that changed the rest of my life because I fell in love. I felt like I belonged, fell in love with driving, with the sport, with the people, the environment, everything just felt like me. And I'd never felt that before. And so that was the start of the rest of my life in a way. Wow. Guess, Penny, that's, a, that's an extraordinary story. And from where you've come from to where you've got to is absolutely phenomenal. But for a woman to go into a sport that you went into, it feels like it could be quite a male-dominated environment. 
Did you find additional barriers because of that or not? So, Bertie, if I had a pound for every time somebody said, what's it like being a woman in a man's world? I would be very, very wealthy. I never was in another world. I was in my world. So it never felt like I was in a male-dominated world. I was just where I belonged. And you know what? The perception is that motorsport is male-dominated and it's going to be difficult to succeed. And the, the truth, looking back, is that motorsport is incredibly inclusive. There is not a race or a rally that you cannot enter, whatever your gender, whatever your abilities and disability. It is open to everybody and it has been forever. People just have a perception that it's very different. It doesn't, it's not easy to get on in motorsport, whatever your background, whatever your gender, it's not easy. And I knew that the only way I could succeed in motorsport was to change my attitude, change my approach to the world, get my head in the right place. And I was incredibly determined. So I didn't come across any obstacles that I couldn't overcome. I pushed them all out of the way. I found a way around them. I don't know what it would have been like if I'd been male in that environment, but it wasn't the environment that was going to stop me. It was me. So I felt very comfortable. I felt like I belonged. Obviously, there were occasions where it didn't quite, you know, there was, I was winning a rally on one occasion and the guy who was second reported me for cheating. So I came second. That, that was definitely one of those moments where you think, hang on a minute, he just doesn't want to be beaten by a woman. This is too much for his ego to bear. So there were occasions where you come up across stuff, but you know, you just, you just get on with it. I never wanted special treatment. I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be one of them. So that's probably not the answer you were expecting, but I think, I think this is really important for everyone listening. You know, you can put yourself in an environment and think that there's all sorts going on in that environment, but actually it's probably your perception. Most things are going on in your head, not out there. And that's really important. So please, please don't let what anyone says or whatever you perceive or assume to hold, to stand in your way or hold you back in any way, because it's probably you holding yourself back. Oh, thank you, Penny. I really appreciate you lifting the lid on that because you're right. As an outsider and as a male, there's these stereotypes that we have and biases that we have. And it's really, yeah. really good to hear that, you know, in that environment. The guys that organise motorsport in the UK are so on it in terms of inclusivity and diversity that I've never actually come across an industry quite as welcoming and as diverse. And, you know, they, they are completely fantastic at including everybody. So I would like to dispel that myth. So just listening to you, Bernie, I'm amazed how you... How did a dream at like six years old? Yeah, you had a lot of setbacks, but you also had this like fire in your belly to give things a go and achieve things. So I'm just curious, how did you go from having so many setbacks to achieving your dream? Was there a fire in your belly driving you? Yeah, there was. And I didn't realize what it was until years later. Uh, when I left home at 14, I didn't really have any contact with my father for 20 years and this broke my heart and I wanted to come to his attention. And I thought if I became a rally champion, he'd notice me, he might get in touch, we might be friends again. And so that was what drove me. Although I didn't know it was happening at the time, it was when I sort of spent some time reflecting on, you know, gosh, actually, that was really hard. It was really tough. What, what, what was keeping me going? 
because honestly, it's it's impossibly hard to to get anywhere in motorsport. And I know for a fact now that you know if if a sponsor pulled out, well, and then I couldn't drive my car. If I couldn't drive my car, I couldn't come to my dad's attention. So I have to get another sponsor. So I was subconsciously on an absolute mission to keep this driving thing going because I wanted his attention more than anything in the world. So that's what, and, and I think for most of us, when we have a really deep purpose, it drives you through incredible adversity and you can do extraordinary things when you're really clear about what you want, but why you want it. So I'm really passionate about encouraging people to just sort of take a step back and reflect on themselves and what actually their life is all about and what really matters and what's the point, what's their why, their mission, call it what you will, because that's ultimately what kept me going. Because when you have a crash, you lose your team, you lose your sponsor and you know all that. I can I can show you photographs of success, but I can't show you all the the down bits when I gave, you know I was on the edge of giving up. But amazing what human beings are capable of when they really want something. Amazing. It kind of makes me think, you know, growing up, parents end up shaping what a lot of your life could be. And you've got good parents out there as well who try their best, but inevitably they kind of project and shape who somebody be- becomes. But then what I like about you is that you become self-aware and you've not necessarily just stayed with what's being given to you, but you kind of overcome it. Yeah. And again, you you have to understand, I, I wasn't consciously aware of all of this, but what I did without knowing it was built incredible resilience, the ability to see through every problem to find a solution. I had the energy and the gas in my tank to just keep, or when I thought I had nothing left to give, I, I found more. We've all got that. And it never crossed my mind that my background was going to stop me. I just knew that I needed lots of money to get to do what I wanted to do. So I became very good at marketing myself and getting sponsorship. That's the truth. But yeah, it's it's just so much easier. You know, when our lives are purposeful, we have enormous resource. And that's that I know now, and I have become very self-aware. I have got qualities now that I'm so grateful for because of where I came from. And I know people who come from very comfortable, wealthy backgrounds who don't really have any purpose in life because there's nothing they really need to work for because they, you know, and I think that's really sad. So, you know, I always think adversity is a gift because it's, you know, no adversity, no growth. Hey, so it's not easy going through tough stuff, but when you come out the other side, you think actually, I am mentally tougher than I've ever been. And mental toughness is what is my passion, my expertise now. And I spend my life trying to help people, or trying to helping people to develop their mental toughness. Just wondering, why do you want to help others with mental toughness? I know you do a lot of coaching. I've seen you've got lots of good reviews. Why do you want to do it? I have done pretty much everything I wanted to do with my life. And I had a coach when I was driving and transformed my performance. And there's nothing more enjoyable than seeing a transformation in someone else. It's the most fantastic thing. And so if I can help other people to unlock all their brilliance that they didn't know they had, I'm up for it. I worked in a prison for three years coaching offenders so that when they, to address their thinking, address their behavior, so when they leave prison, they're less likely to offend. That's possibly the most rewarding job I've ever done in my life. And it was voluntary. I just loved it. I just get my pleasure now from seeing other people do extraordinary things that they didn't think they probably could do. Nice. And Paddy, 
There's lots more that Penny has done because I've listened to one of her talks. She's an excellent speaker. So Penny, would you be able to share as well, you know, all the other sorts of projects you've gotten up to in your life? Okay, so when you spend 12 years driving rally cars, it's quite exciting and you get used to the adrenaline and the being on the edge of your nerves, basically, for 12 years. And then when that stops your life sort of falls to pieces because you don't have that purpose anymore. So I then threw myself into other challenges. So I've, I climbed two of the seven summits. I've run, I've run four official marathons, but actually hundreds of marathons because I run most days and I usually run a marathon a week, which is nothing. It's just a few miles a day. I've done triathlons. I have been a boxer. I've boxed in two fights. So I'm always trying to put myself in a position where I will learn something and develop myself. I have the pandemic to thank for this. I had my name down to row the Atlantic in a boat of five women. And thankfully I didn't do it because because of the pandemic. But that's me. That's my ultimate fear with water, open water, you know, in the Atlantic would be just horrendous. So I thought I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to face it. So I'll probably have to put my name back down again there. But that's, I suppose that's just what... Pushing myself, you know, when, when I had such a low opinion of myself as a kid, I suppose I've spent my adulthood trying to improve my opinion of myself. And so I'm trying to impress myself and, and give myself a pat on the back. I'm being really honest here. Most people wouldn't be, be too ashamed to admit that. I, I'm over it now. You know, I'm too old to, to worry about that. But it makes me feel good when I do something scary or difficult. It makes me feel good when I've done it. And that's the truth. That's amazing. You can be that open because I'm imagining a lot of people listening would relate to that. I know I, I relate to that in some ways. <laughs> um, the thing is, we all get scared. We all get stressed. We all get anxious. Every single one of us. Some We just handle it differently. Mm-hmm. If you can learn to handle the fear, the stress, the anxiety, the, the pressure, life's going to be easier, more enjoyable, more comfortable. So... It's about, for me, and I'm quite a disciplined person because I've had to be, it's about setting a challenge, being really diligent, persisting until I reach the outcome. And when you do that, if you don't give up on something, you will get it. So (laughs) I've learned that and I like to share and encourage other people to do the same. But it depends how much you want it. You know, if you only want it a bit, it's going to be really tough because other somebody else will want it more. So it's about, that's why understanding your purpose is so important because when it's really clear and you've had total clarity on what you're about and where you're going, it's much easier to, to, to disregard all the distractions that take you away from that focus that you have. I've got a question about that, Penny. Any tips on how to find your purpose? I know a lot of people, it probably comes to them naturally because they're in a situation and that triggers a thought and then gives them a fire to pursue this aim that they have. But for many people out there, what is their purpose? I think many people struggle with that. Any tips on how you can discover that? I think absolutely right. I think most people don't know what their purpose is. They probably haven't even thought about it. And so they sort of bumble through life and that's great for for a lot of people. But I think when you have something happens in your life and you think to yourself, what is this all about? What is going on? Why? Why is this happening to me? It's a great moment to just breathe out, take a step back, take a view from the bridge of your life and go, actually, what am I drawn to? What, what, 
what is the one thing I keep defaulting to? What, what is the one thing that I really need that really gives me pleasure? And you, you can start to unpick. So, you know, it might be that you're in an office job and actually you want, you're caring for people because, you know, lots of people really enjoy caring and nursing, for example. So that would be somebody's purpose potentially that they just love to help. They want to fix everything and make everyone well. Um, so if you're in an office job and all you really, and you're not really that bothered about corporate life, but you just want to help people, you might discover that your purpose is actually in a, in a, in a different environment having a different role where you come home every day, doesn't matter how much you're earning, but you're really satisfied. You have a sense of peace because you're in the right place. So finding your purpose, I think, is crucial. It takes a lot of self-reflection. It's quite easily done with a coach. A coach can ask challenging questions, which you might not ask of yourself, but just starting to recognize what are the things that matter? Where are you drawn to? What do you keep finding yourself doing? And where I'm also this, when you feel some discomfort because you're doing something that doesn't feel right, although everyone's telling you it's right, and that you've got that cognitive dissonance where your brain, your subconscious tells you a different thing to your conscious, that's a really good moment to think, hang on a minute, I just feel really uncomfortable. What's going on? Am I really doing what I ought to be doing? And just by the conversation, also speaking to the people around you, your friends and family, asking them what they think, what's their perspective. So we can get stuck in our own heads, can't we? And I think your purpose will, will, will emerge. Some people just have a light bulb moment. Some people take years to, to work it out. But mostly there's something deep within us that matters so much that can transform your enjoyment of life, I suppose. When you, when you find it, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, no, that's great advice. I've often pondered and thought about what is it that I should be doing on this earth? And uh, I get quite reflective, but uh, I'm still still trying to figure that out. By doing this podcast, you're probably ticking a box because <laughs> you are speaking to people that either are inspiring or educating or entertaining or whatever, but you're doing this for a reason because it's ticking a box for you emotionally or, you know, subconsciously. It's it obviously matters to you. And, yeah. and I think that's great. So this podcast is significant in some way for you. I don't know you, but you're nodding. So I'm guessing. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think, yeah, when, when I have boiled it down, it has been kind of connecting with people and helping others through others' messages or just helping people to think of things in a different way. And that's not always coming from me. It's sometimes by me talking to great people like yourself and you're able to share your experiences. And if that then helps someone, I indirectly, I feel really happy about that, that I've helped someone in some way. So absolutely. Helping people is a massive purpose for a lot of people because human yeah. beings are like human beings. We like each other's company, which is why lockdown is so intolerable. But yeah, yeah. helping people is, is usually right up there. I was going to say, Vera, what's your purpose? Have you figured that one out? Yeah, I think so. Honestly. It was, as you know, the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. At the beginning, one of the tips is to write a mission statement for your life. So I've, I have written down my mission statement and I might change it over time. I'm not sure I'm ready to reveal it to the masses yet. <laughs> I'm still in that, in that early stage. But you remember what you wrote? Yeah, yeah. I look back at it. And it's okay to change your mission as well. Because people think, oh, I can't, I, I said I'd do this and I can't change it. But you absolutely can change it because life changes every day, doesn't it? Priorities change, people change, relationships change, everything changes. 
And I don't think there's anything wrong with you reviewing that and thinking, well, maybe that's not so much anymore. I think once you've got that as well, there's like suddenly the pressure is lifted and that you can just enjoy what you want to do. And then it suddenly becomes easier and almost natural for achieving your goals. It doesn't feel like work and effort in some ways. Something I still struggle with though is there's something I'm really passionate about, but then I struggle to get started. And there's just so many things I want to do, but I noticed with you, Penny, you've achieved a lot. Have you got any tips for how do you translate a, a goal into, into achieving it? Reality. Well, all I would say is that if you want to get to the top of Mount Elbrus, you have to keep putting one foot in front of the other, otherwise you're never going to get to the top. And exactly the same thing for you. If you have a thing you have to take action. Your inability to, to, to make a move is the only thing that's stopping you getting there. So what, however small, however insignificant it feels, you have to make one step towards that thing. It might be a psychological step. It might be a physical, actual thing. But that's the only way you're going to get there. You ain't going to get there by doing nothing, for sure. So... Just step by step, keep moving forward. So the momentum has to be forward. You will get nowhere if you stay here, but you will get somewhere if you move forward. And so there's something potentially blocking your first step. That's my job as a coach to get that out of you. We won't do it right now, I promise. But that's all I would say is that action, action, action. Action energizes you. It starts to to re, to. Re, Get your thinking in line, you start to get that laser focus back, but you just need to plan almost, you know, I don't know what your goal is, or the thing you want to achieve is, but there will be certain things you have to do to get there and write them down. And well, even if you took a micro step towards the first step, it's progress. You're, you're closer than you were yesterday. Yeah, I like that. Micro steps are key. I think often it's perfectionism holding me back or I've got to plan everything first. But yeah. Perfectionism can be a massive inhibitor for people. There's no point in doing it unless it's going to be amazing. Well, in whose eyes? I've shared this story before, Penny, uh, on one of the other episodes, but for about three years, I was trying to launch a blog and I'd write an article and then I'd rip it up again. I'd constantly keep looking at it and then starting again. And after about three years, I just realized this was never going to happen. I was just never going to publish these articles. So I gave up on the blog and hence why I'm doing the podcast now, because I felt this was a better and easier medium for me to express ideas. But that sense of being a perfectionist when it came to writing things down, I really struggled with that. And no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't, couldn't overcome it for some reason. I did the same. I, I wrote, I wanted to write a book. So when you're a speaker, you kind of have to have a book as to make you credible. <laughs> and I tried writing a book and it was absolute rubbish. And so I found somebody to help me. It's still not very good, if I'm honest. Don't buy it. But I knew that I needed help. So when I need help, I could find it. And the book got published and it's fine. And then I did another one. And I've just written my third book, which comes out is 365 Ways to Develop Mental Toughness. And I was terrified of giving the draft to the, and this is me a few months ago, terrified to give the draft to the publisher because I thought he was going to go, this is just no. He said, oh, great. It's really good. I said, but I'm not a writer. I didn't listen at school. I didn't take any notice. I'm not a writer. I'm a driver. He said, no, no, you write the way you speak. It's fine. So you're obviously going to do some editing and what have you, but it is taking that leap of faith and having a level of confidence in your ability 
and also being able to take the feedback because a lot of us won't do something in case we're told we're not good enough or we're embarrassed or feel ashamed or whatever it might be. So I totally get why you didn't go through with the blogs, but instead you you obviously made a decision, let's talk about, let's talk the talky stuff rather than writey stuff. And that was a great decision for you. So just the fact that you didn't do the blogs, you know, so what? You're doing this and this is lovely. So, and this will probably reach more people. Yeah, no, nice. Thank you for that, Penny. Talking about books, I was listening to another podcast and uh, Daniel Pink, the famous author of Drive and a whole bunch of other stuff, was talking about his new book, which is all around regret. And I found that quite interesting, the fact that we often don't share our regrets as much. And uh, so a question for you is, you've had a phenomenal journey, but looking back, are there any major regrets that you have? It, it's hard for me to say I regret anything because if I have made any decisions differently, I wouldn't be here talking to you with my children in my house. And so every step that I've made, rightly or wrongly, has brought me to where I am and I like where I am. I, I don't think it would be fair to say I regret. I have been married too many times, Paddy. That would probably be the one thing I would change because I love being married and it just hasn't been a successful thing for me. But had that those things gone differently, I still, I wouldn't be here now. So I, I would feel uncomfortable saying I regretted anything. I think, I don't know, it's quite it's such a big question, isn't it? There's definitely things I shouldn't have done, <laughs> definitely things I shouldn't have said, but that's just me. And there's no point in me nitpicking my life apart because I have a great life and we've all made mistakes. We're human and it's absolutely fine. I love your perspective on that. And I think that really speaks to your resilience and how you've built up your, your character over time is your perspective on things. And you can see, okay, yeah, maybe that wasn't so great, but because you've, you know, progressed from there and grown and got to where you are now, you know, you see the value in, you know, even <laughs> failing sometimes. But this concept of failure for me is, has always been a weird one. Because you, I, I don't have a concept of failure. I just, I learn something. And again, it might be a, might be a lesson I wasn't really up for learning, but, you know, divorce is miserable and awful. But I came out of it mentally tougher and I've learned lessons for next time. So there is no failure. There is only learning. And a friend of mine, Jamil Qureshi, he says, failure is the price you pay in advance, in full, for success. You have to fail to succeed. You have to. I mean, you have to learn what won't work so that you can learn what will work. It's it's just simply part of the process of success, which would suggest that one day I'll be really happily married. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my. I, I don't like the concept of failure because I just don't think it's what most people think it is. It's a it's a lesson. It's not a failure. It's a lesson. Oh, I love that. Penny, because in our line of work, Vera and I, we are technology coaches. And one of the things that people often say is fail fast. It's good to fail fast. And I found that that doesn't really resonate with leaders because they don't like that word failure. So I sometimes switch that to say, well, learn fast, right? If we can learn fast, yeah. then that's only a good thing. And then leaders go, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what we want to do. Yeah, that's right. And in industry, of course, it's so, everything's so fast-paced. You've got to learn fast because there's no time to learn slowly. You've got to throw yourself, take action. If the action isn't working, cool, we just change the plan. We change the destination. We just go again. So 
it's you will get very you won't get very far if you are taking too much time because the rest of the world is racing past you. So I, I understand why leaders are up for the fast failure, but it's not like you say, it's, it's just fast learning.